You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Guys, Christian here. Normally on the show, we attempt to keep things as child-friendly as possible, but every now and then we can hit some harder subject matters or may even have some verbal discourses that may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive ears to hear. In this episode, there may be either a discussion on more mature topics or may have strong language or perhaps both at once. Your discretion is advised. Was anyone else disappointed when they never received their owl to Hogwarts? I know I was. I'm sure my hosts here did as well. We are Systematic Geekology. We are the priests of the geeks. I'm, of course, your host, Christian Ashley. I am joined today by Nick Polk. How are you doing, Nick? I'm good, dude. How are you? I'm all right, man. It's been a long day. I had a lot of classes to get through, but it's all over. I get to talk about one of my favorite series of all time, Harry Potter. Uh, I'm also, we are also joined today by a special guest host, one who has a relation to someone we all despise and yet God commands us to love, Joshua Lowe. Uh, Judy, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience, please? What's up, guys? Uh, my name is Judy Noel. Noel, for those of us who are actually uh, in tune. Uh, Josh's cousin, but only by default, not by choice. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, love the guy, but it's a little questionable sometimes. Um, but a avid fan of Harry Potter, also a pastor in the United Methodist Church. So this is right in my wheelhouse, and I'm super pumped. Let's go. Okay. So with that all in mind, what has everyone been geeking out on recently? Well, I have been reading the Game of Thrones series for the first time, as well as the Dark Tower series. So I've watched the Game of Thrones TV show, and I just... I had one friend say, read the Dark Tower series, and then I had another friend say, why haven't you read Game of Thrones? So now I'm just going back and forth. So I finished the Dark Tower series, or the first book in the Dark Tower series, and now I am on my way through the first Game of Thrones book. So and I'll flip-flop back and forth. So that's what I'm nerding out on. Yeah, Dark Tower series, a really wacky and fun ride overall. Game of Thrones, not so much wacky, yeah, but still fun. Yeah, definitely fun and sad and, uh, you know, gut-wrenching. Judy, how about you? Yeah, so um, I'm a huge Marvel fan. Um, So I'm currently going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, like, the stories chronological timeline, not when they actually came out. Um, I just strongly recommend anyone to do that, especially now with, like, these most recent releases. Um, I'm actually pretty far along. I'm re-watching the Loki um, series right now, which I oh, forgot yeah. how much I loved. Um, but it's just, it's so much fun to watch. I, you know, leave it to a Noel to be a fan of the bad guy, but I'm a fan of the bad guy. I love, I love Loki. <laughs> he's just, he's just so cool. He has he's such a complex character and it's fun to watch. So, um, I have spent my time now that my semester's over, I'm about to enter my last, uh, year of seminary. So I, uh, I said this summer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy myself and, watch all my faves so it's been fun i don't know that the rest of the family's enjoying it but they can get over it i i have the remote thing <laughs> there you go someone has to be in charge and it might as well be me <laughs> <laughs> as far as i'm concerned i'm geeking out on what is about to be our summer uh season for anime which i will be starting a new thing for the show like hopefully once every week i'll be coming on youtube and we're doing uh, wednesday night weeaboo where I discuss all the anime I've been watching for that week. So I'm looking forward to that. I think our first episode will be the 28th, I think. And that's just me going over what I will be covering. So I'm looking forward to that. But you didn't come here and talk about anime. You came here to, to hear us all talk about 
Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Now, guys, this world is diverse. And there is probably someone out there listening right now who has never once experienced anything about Harry Potter. Disappointing. I know. I'm so sorry. But we're here to help educate you. So please help me help them figure out what Harry Potter is about. You know, I'm um, in true theological form. Um, I always thought for me, if I was going to describe not necessarily like the story and what happens, but like what it means for me as you read through the series, not just this first book, like feel like it's always fighting for your convictions. Like even when it seems reckless and crazy, like if it felt right, by goodness, Harry was doing it. Even if we were all going, like, I feel like it's sometimes you're like, you can almost hear him in his redneck voice saying, hold my beer and watch this. Like that's, that's how it feels sometimes. (laughs) Um, But it makes for a really awesome series and a tearjerker at times too, which, you know, makes for a good story. A little roller coaster never hurt anybody. Nick, I absolutely love uh, the metaphor of Harry Potter being the redneck, uh, asking someone to hold his beer while he just does whatever he sees fit. Um, I mean, come I mean, on, accurate, one hundred percent accurate, one hundred percent accurate. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. And then Ron just out rednecks him all the way through. Yeah, Every if, time. yeah, he's the hillbilly of the group for sure. Um, but this isn't about rednecks and hillbillies. But uh, <laughs> it would make for a really good, really good show. So just for the for the record, anytime you need somebody for that, I got you. You need to make a YouTube series immediately. Um, yes. But yeah, so the thing about a show, it's a, it's definitely like the you know it's the chosen person, right, kind of character who the the trope and it's about a kid who is in a terrible situation who doesn't think there's anything special about him and then he finds out that all the things are special about him he's a wizard he's a famous wizard basically the future of wizard kind is on his shoulders and then it's about him growing up and discovering himself with all of that weight and magical goodness oh yes well said said. both of you (laughs) yeah it's just a super fun series of mm-hmm. uh, a boy and his friends growing up over time, you know, coming of age, figuring the world around them. Oh, and he's also a lot of people are trying to kill him. So, you know, because of who he is and what he did as a baby that no one really understands how he was able to stop this dark lord, Voldemort, who everyone was afraid of. And then suddenly some kid, some baby who couldn't actively fight against him, took him down. Like, what is going on with that? So... Guys, um, this was written forever ago. I hate to hear that come out of my mouth, but how are you first introduced to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? Was it the movies? Was it the book? You know, it was a mix of things. I think that originally, um, so I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, which is a Wesleyan evangelical denomination. And so my family converted to Christianity, specifically that denomination when I was like five. And so progressively started becoming more integrated into that culture. And so that culture is more uh, prone to be knee-jerk reactionary towards things like Harry Potter. And so as Harry Potter, the book came out, my church was on the full attack, parents interviewing local news stations about how demons were infiltrating the schools. And my parents were like, what's the big deal, dude? Like, it's cool. (laughs) 
And uh, then the movies came out and they took us to the theaters. And uh, of course, uh, a lot of people at our church had raised eyebrows. But at that point, um, I was hooked on the movies. And then I read the book series um, after college and have just kind of done a full deep dive since. Judy? Yeah, so I have to I have to laugh a little bit. Um, I think it is just blasphemous to watch the movies first and then read the books. Like it Sorry. hurts my heart a little. It's okay. I still like you. It's fine. Um, <laughs> you're not Josh. <laughs> you're not Josh. It's <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll leave we'll leave other comments alone. Um, but I, so I grew up in this. So I grew up in a, like the Pentecostal church. Uh, very traditional. Um, they also thought Harry Potter was full of demons. And so now my mom, whom, if you ask Josh is his favorite aunt, uh, because they like, it is a, it is a whole different level of nerd out when they get together. Like just fair warning. (laughs) If you ever see it happen, it's like a phenomenon that cannot be explained. Um, but I grew up in sci-fi. Like I had a Dungeons and Dragons character when I was like four, you know, I, I remember Game of Thrones, like, like my mom reading the books to me, like I, Star Trek, Star Wars, you you name it. And sci-fi was like surrounding me, but my grandparents, specifically my grandma was like, "Uh -uh, we don't do that. Well, (laughs) we lived with them growing up. And so even though I wanted to read Harry Potter, I couldn't, um, not without some backlash and who wanted to do that, but when I became a teenager, um, I had some choice words about that, although I kept them to myself and I read the books anyway and I fell in love. Like I read yeah, I like it. the Sorcerer's Stone in like three hours or something crazy. Like I started it and I didn't put it down until I finished. Um, and by then several of the books were out. And so I just started reading through them all. When the movies came out, I would read all the books leading up to that movie just so that I could like nitpick all the things they left out in the books that should have been in the movie, but weren't. Um, so I've, there's a deep rooted love for this series, um, for the better part of 20 years of my life. So, um, it is, it is a very, the laptop I'm using right now has nothing but Harry Potter stickers on the back. So, um, this is definitely a near and dear to my heart story. Yeah. I believe I was in fourth, yeah, I was in fourth grade and what my teacher, Mr. Dugan and shout out to you, man, always doing stuff like this for us. You uh, he would have this time set aside where he would read like a chapter of a book uh, during one of the school days. And he brought Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I knew nothing about it. Uh, started listening to him reading. It's like falling in love. It's like, this is such a weird, quirky, fun series with engaging characters yeah. and everything. Like, yeah, sign me up. And that was around that time. We'll get to this later on, too. But that uh, that good old satanic panic came up. In the Baptist churches, and as you know, Baptist churches are always rational people who never have knee-jerk reactions to anything. (laughs) He said, lying through his teeth. And my mother was more of, like, whenever something like this, Pokemon, stuff like that, she'd always be like, the oh, well, if someone else in the church said it, it's true. She has since, like, mellowed out a bit as time has gone on. My dad was like, okay, yeah, I don't think it is, but I got to keep her happy. So that's how that's going to work. But over time, he eventually got his way. I eventually got my way. As my sister got into it, too, we saw the movie coming out. Uh, I read the book right before that for myself and then just kept going as time went on. Uh, Book, movie, book, movie, book, movie. So uh, it's very near and dear to my heart. But uh, what about this first book? Like, What specifically about it do you guys, what made you fall in love with it? 
Man, you know, it, I think that because obviously I am a heretic and watch the movies first, but I have to I have to link. Yeah, it's true. I have to link my experience, like my enchantment and my draw to Harry Potter with the movies first. And I think just the soundtrack, this the cinematography, that whole world um, and then what led me to the books that just deepened that experience where it should have been the other way around. I'll admit where I should have been drawn, where the movies would serve as a supplement as opposed to, um, as a deepening or something. But I mean, it's just such a beautiful story, such a cool, unique world. Um, and like literally, I mean, I remember as soon as I watched the movie, I went and found, whatever quiz I could, whether it was like onlinequiz.com or something, I think before Wizarding World was a thing and found out what house I was, you know? <laughs> yes. I should have had that as one of the questions. Oh, well, <laughs> that's good. Judy? Um, we should just plug that question in. Hufflepuff pride. Let's go, um, baby. Okay. Listen, Gryffindor all the way. <laughs> you would be a Gryffindor. Uh Right. I have two answers. Not what I actually want to say. Because I've <laughs> taken the quiz based off of who I was before Jesus and who I am with Jesus. Oh, interesting. Uh, without, Ooh. I am a very clever and let's just say uh, power hungry Slytherin. Ooh, let's go, dude. With Jesus, Ooh. I am a more uh, loyal, courageous Gryffindor. I like it. Man, I'm. Not like worthy that. to be in the presence of two Gryffindors right now as a Hufflepuff. <laughs> it's okay. You're not Josh. <laughs> okay. You, yeah. Yeah. That, that's all it takes. So, uh, Judy, you're, uh, what uh, did you fall in love with the series since we've yeah. gotten off track? And that's okay because I that's know, what we do here. We have outlines well, and then we say, screw it. Yeah. Listen, don't, don't get me on rabbit trails because I'm really good at them. Um, I think what I love the most because there are lots of things and we could fill a whole podcast with all the things I love about Harry Potter. Um, but f- I think like reading this book, you know, my first exposure to the story was watching this kid who had a really crappy childhood. Like obviously it was like bottom of the barrel, sleeping in a cupboard under the stairs. Obviously like, I mean, arguably hated by the only family that he knew. And he just got wrapped up and supported and loved by these people he'd never even met before, but they knew him, you know, they knew his story and you see all these people coming and like caring for him and, and loving him and Hagrid busting in and being like, uh, uh-uh, uh, happy birthday, Harry hop on this very sketchy moped that flies and let's <laughs> take you to the visiting world where you belong. Like to me, it was just, it was like the, the night coming to save the boy in distress. Like it was it was awesome. I just, the, the feel good part of the story just lured me in. Oh yeah. I mean, for me, it was just like falling in love with the world that JK Rowling was making of there's all these fantastical things she's pulling in from mythology. And as someone that's a, even as a young kid, I was super into Greek and Norse mythology. So I could recognize, Oh, that's from this centaurs are from Greek mythology and all this stuff. It was my introduction to the concept of alchemy and all this other crazy stuff. It's like, man, like I love the characters too. Like characters are a huge part of what I get into stuff, but like I, I'm also a huge like world builder lover. Like how can you fill that in and make me believe this is a living, breathing world and not just something you made up that just exists because you have to tell a story. And she does right. a phenomenal job at that. Uh, especially too, 
like even in the first book alone, there are so many call uh, call forwards and people introduced that don't make sense until later on. Like Sirius Black is mentioned in the first book. He's, we don't care about him for two more books. Right. I love when writers do that. <clears throat> so same. All that in mind, we talk about characters. Who is everyone's favorite? You go first, Judy. I don't think this. I don't think this question is fair. First of all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, i will say i will do what i normally do judy and i cheat my answer is two people oh oh gosh i could make a list but if i if i had to narrow down it there has to be two and my two favorite and and again if we were just talking about the first book my answer would probably look different um i, I think in the first book i would have to say harry's my favorite just because like i identified with him a lot and yeah let's, I, let's keep I things love, to the first book for most of these yeah. questions I know, I know. I know, I, it hurts. Um, because I would, I'll just say that Hagrid and Hermione are probably my overall favorites, but in this book specifically, Harry took the cake for me. I mean, cheesy as it oh, may sorry. be, like, this had to be. I mean, he's the main character. There's no shame in loving the main character. I mean, Harry's right? great. Yeah. yeah, Harry's great. Um, you know, and I think for me, it is, it's Hagrid for the first one, because I remember, like, just... Um, you just love Hagrid, you know, the feels Hagrid just feels so deeply. He's hilarious. He's a buffoon, but in the most <laughs> endearing way possible. And yes. when bad things happen to Hagrid or even when they're like, oh, when Hagrid slips up and he's like, oh, I shouldn't have told you that. And you're like, oh, Hagrid, why'd you do that? <laughs> oh, I love you, but you're going to get in trouble now. Yeah. Hagrid's right. Great. Like it makes you want to like kick somebody's ass when his feelings are hurt. A hundred percent. Like, what oh, did yeah. you like, say? What did you say to my gentle giant? Yeah, we'll right. go. To, we'll go to war like, for Hagrid. Right, and he could <laughs> break you that. in half, but he won't. So I'm going to give it a go. Like, stop it. Yeah, all, all quality stop. answers, but of course, my answer is the best because it's me. Uh, my answers are Fred and George Weasley. So now, good. in the first book, there's not they don't get a lot of showtime, but when they do show up, it's like yeah, they're in the scene and you're loving it. From the very beginning when they're teasing their mother about like, I'm Fred, he's George. Mm -hmm. I, I laughed so much because I had grown up since kindergarten with a group of identical twins. And I, to this day, I may have a 75% success rate on who is who. And that, that befuddles the mind. But just the way that they're so playful with, with everyone around them, not in a mean way, not in a bullying way, uh, outside of some of what you could say what they do to Ron but he's the youngest brother, so he deserves it. <laughs> Shout out to you, Connor. I love you. And just, they're so playful. And, yeah. you know, you get, you've met those people before at some point in your life. Of It's not that they don't take things seriously, but they also want to have fun with what's around them. And like the whole running gag of them, like stealing a toilet seat to give to Harry near the end, like, you know, it even makes Dumbledore laugh. I love that so much. Fred and George are punk rock, yeah. dude. They're like the punk like rock Like straight kids. shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we start this novel off with Harry uh, being delivered to the Dursleys after his parents have died. Uh, McGonagall has watched over them this whole day. And she's like, when Dumbledore says, yeah, I got to give them to her. And we know why later on. But for the first book, we really don't understand. And she goes, why would you ever bring him here? These people are, couldn't be more or less like us than is even possible. But Dumbledore has his reasons, as he always does, and he gives Harry to the Dursleys. Now, 
his relationship with him and the abuse that they kind of forced upon him this whole time spread over the whole, uh, what is it, septology, whatever, for seven books. I don't know. I didn't look it up before I said that word. Uh, like, it, it's a huge part of it because we see, especially early on, just how, I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's downright abusive. It is abusive to what they do to him, you know, denying him uh, more food, denying him a good place to live until they get threatened by the presence of the letters. Like, ignoring what will happen later for right now, so we keep the discussion of just this book, how do we feel about how this situation is handled and what can we learn from it? Mm. You know, that's a hard, that's hard to answer a little bit. Uh, when I was looking through the questions, this one, I like, literally like skipped and was like, let me come back to that because I don't know about it. But I think because we don't understand fully why they took him to the Dursleys, because we'll later find out that really it was primarily for his protection. Like nobody's going to go look at number four Privet Drive for him. Like no no one's going to go there. But at the time you think, what have you done? Like surely, you know, they're awful people. Like this was a terrible decision. Who made this? You're fired. And then you're like, oh, it's Dumbledore. Well, maybe he knew something we didn't, right? Um, And just for the record, um, Dudley 100% deserved the pigtail. I just want the record to know that. That little shit deserved that pigtail. He should have given him a snout. I, I, I make it like, I don't even know, like give him a mud pit and throw him in it. Like what a little, I can't stand that kid. Like, can we pick a least favorite character? Because it's him. Oh, I can't absolutely. Stand that guy. Like what a horrible human he is. I don't even know the kid. I don't even care. But he's also That's a huge guy. product of his environment too, which is a form of abuse in and of itself. Mm, now listen, now, now hold on now. You don't want to go down these rabbit holes. You can't pick that one. <laughs> because we can, we can like have a whole series just on like how Dudley is a product of his environment. It absolutely abusive and just in turns creates another abuser. It's disgusting, but it does fit well into the context of the story. Do I do understand why it was stuck in there. Doesn't mean not to like it. Yeah. I think the con, I think the conflict, like you said, Judy just adds that layer of like, Oh, like Harry has to deal with internal home issues as well as what's going on at Hogwarts. There's like this, tension that goes on that makes the story so complex and relatable i think um to us muggles but i you know i'm going to keep it to my main experience because i've heard lots of cool talks and different people giving different perspectives about the dursleys and like um you know what about the dursleys being thrust into this whole scenario that they had no idea was happening like that's not fair i'm not saying they're abuse is fine but mr jersey is like a normal everyday guy who just wants to provide for his family and now he's like oh death eaters want to come and kill this boy that's in my house who signed me up for this this sucks so yeah which you you know but i'm gonna put that aside there this like we said we could go down a whole rabbit hole uh, but let's uh i'll just say that it sucks because i remember like everybody when you when i watched the movies and read the books uh you hate them you also you hate the Dursleys with every inch, every word they say, their descriptions about them. You're like, these are just horrible, nasty people who treat a perfectly good orphaned boy like complete garbage. Yeah. Well, and I have to add, so I think I think how we interpret that situation is also very like contextual, like for our, our own context. Yeah. Because I don't I don't. I mean, I, I do listen to the podcast enough. I don't know that Josh, I've, I've never heard him talk much about our, you know, our family and kind of our connection, but like we are super 
super tight knit. Like I didn't realize how tight knit. And so I started experiencing other families and I'm like, Oh, like, you guys don't even like each other. Like you don't even hang out or talk. And, and we do. And so for me, it was just hard to understand how, like, I don't even, I don't even care what the situation was that they're family and they need you. So that end of story, that's it. Like you take the kid in and you do what you got to do because that's your nephew. And he's an orphan now because his parents were just violently murdered. Like, what do you mean? Like, don't be an asshole. Like take the kid in, make sure he has food. Don't give him the shirt that drags the ground because your son's a hoss and you don't feed Harry enough food. Like, stop it. Stop it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I deliberately, narrowed this question down to just this book because obviously there is more insight we can get to them later on but from just our initial reactions you go these people are the worst how could they do this to a child and like there's no way these people could ever be have any semblance of redemption in my eyes later on and i say some people would say they're still abusers and that's it and then other people say i understand where they're coming from don't like it but i get it i'm more of the latter and like yeah, I can't condone child abuse in any way, shape, or form, but I get it. Knowing who they are, knowing what they're about, it makes sense. This wasn't going to end any other way, and it couldn't have because Harry needed this protection, which obviously <laughs> spoilers for later on. Sorry, this is your first time getting into Harry Potter. So, so it's been thirty uh, years. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been. I think we should add uh, a spoiler alert to like every episode. <laughs> and, yeah, at some point in time, it's like. I'm not someone who cares about spoilers to begin with, but I want to be mindful of other people who are very sensitive in that regard. Cause I, I've met people before. If like you mentioned like, Hey, this actor is going to be in this movie. I didn't know that. How could you tell me that? It's okay. Okay. That's cause but, you're a kind man. You're a kind man, Christian. <laughs> I, I had to learn to be kind. I'm not very kind naturally. Amen. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's that's totally Jesus's work in my life. Okay. A Christian of uh, reading Harry Potter at this time around, I don't think you would have wanted him to have met him. Yeah. So we mentioned it earlier. Like, I, I don't even have to say what I wrote in my outline because I know for sure. Yeah, we all lived around the time when many Christians spoke out against this book. You know, citing its use as magic as satanic in design. Uh, did they have a point at all in what they were saying, or was or were they just completely way off base? Um. I will say that I will say they do not have a point, um, but I'm, that's not to throw away empathy, especially just talking about how people are brought up in the world, um, how they're raised and how they understand things. Right. If people are raised to say like anything, you know, we I think the division people say if you, you know, the verses, if you are in you need to be in the world and not of it. So anything that's worldly is not of God. You know, that's kind of what I heard growing up. Um, and I. And I think things are just more complex than that. I think all three of us would agree. But I think that experientially and what the story is and book, it's it's a book. It's a story. Now, does it influence people and can do things? Sure. Is there maybe some negative aspects in that book that you could point to? Sure. That are maybe inappropriate. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but there's probably more. I think we would all argue that there's more positive things to extract from the story than negative. Um and it's it's a book and a story, so there's nothing satanic and weird and evil about it. Um, get over yourself. Uh, read a book or two, Judy, or seven. Yeah, or seven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, and I think you're right. Like we do have to have some empathy there. Like I, I think that the people who were spewing like this is satanic, this is evil, like they felt that they had a point. 
they felt that that conviction was real and was true to how they were interpreting their personal theology, their personal doctrine. But, you know, I think back to like (laughs) some of the smut novels that I saw my grandmother read, you know, at the time I didn't know they were smut, but I later learned that they were like, you know, for the sake of not digging too deep into the theology of this, like we can't pick and choose and say, this is worldly, but this isn't because this is what I enjoy. And that's what you're enjoying. And that's what it, looking back, that's what it feels like, right? Like we want to, we want to be able to pass blame and say this is sinful and have something to fight against, but be able to keep the things that we think are, oh, well, that's just a story. Well, so is this. And that's okay. Like I would much rather my kids be reading stories and stretching their imaginations than I would them sitting in front of a screen watching TV or video games or whatever. So I'm, I'm a firm believer that it's no different than any other fiction. It's no different than any other TV show that we like to watch that isn't actually real. Like it's, it's a great story that gives you a chance to like find, like you said, find the good. And there's lots of good to be found in this series. Yeah, well said, everyone, on that regard. Um, I think I probably grew up in the more hostile section of this area. I think I'm fairly certain I can say that. And it came from a place of the desire to protect. Right. But it was a, a course overcorrection, a very uh, pharisaical, I even say, overcorrection in this regard. Because, look, it's, it's fiction. It's, it's not even like the biblical magic we see in Scripture. That magic that we see in scripture, we see of someone summoning someone from the dead or pharaohs, uh, magicians trying to replicate the miracles of Moses. It's always unnatural. It's not something like if this were to exist in, say, the multiverse out there, this would be some inherent ability that people had that God designed them that way by the looks of it. And they're kind of like uh, uh, the oddly, uh, excuse me. What's what I'm looking for here? Ironically named in this regard, but they're more like D and D sorcerers. Like they're literally born with that power. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with having something like that. They're just different. So I, they had a point in the sense of we should be on our guard, but once again, it was just an overcorrection that did more harm than good. Yeah, concur. Yeah, well said. Well said. So yeah, uh, anything else on that? No, I like it. I, I don't like think it. so. I think we. I think we wrap that up real nice all right so near the end of the book we find the sorcerer's stone is what well, actually it's actually the philosopher's stone but americans are dumb so they had to change the title because americans would never read a book about philosophers which i i kind of get their point in that regard uh so they find it's in it's hogwarts valid it's valid yeah <laughs> uh, if you're right you're right and they were definitely right uh yeah i can make as many dumb american jokes as i want to but i'll, I'll move on uh we find that Instead of Professor Snape, like we all thought when we were, you know, 10, 11, whenever this book came out, it was actually Professor Quirrell. And he comes, he's got Lord Voldemort stuck to the back of his head. That's why he was wearing a turban. It's like one of those times of like, oh, I actually understand what that means now. Like when someone writes something early in a book and it comes back later, it's like, oh, gosh, I can see it happening now. Even though uh, I also really appreciate that Fred and George threw uh, snowballs at the back of Quirrell's head, not knowing Voldemort was there the whole time. It just makes that seem a thousand times funnier. But what Quirrell says, he's, he's actually quoting Voldemort right there in front of the mirror of Eris said, uh, he says, there is no good and evil. There is only power and those too weak to seek it. 
Now that's a huge villain line, but like, uh, how do we feel about the legitimacy of that quote? Bullshit. Agreed. Bullshit. It's the words of a bully. That's what it is. It's the way people make them feel empowered and strong so that they can push other people down. I could say stronger words, but I won't. <laughs> this is a phrase that politicians use. There's different renditions. The worst kind of politicians from every which way, color, or Dictators. party line. Yeah. They use words like that to say, well, who's going to wield the power? This this group of people? This nation? Like, I got to do what I got to do, you know? And that's, uh, like you said, BS. It's gross behavior. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. It is trying to justify gross behavior. I completely agree. This is someone trying to say, I am molding the world in my image and in my pride. I'm going to say that actually this is how things are supposed to be versus like how I want them to be. And Voldemort is a very classic case of that, like renaming himself, we see later on and trying to deny his past of who he used to be, of how he was born, of being someone that his own people would not think is legitimate as a leader because he is uh, half muggle born and all this stuff. Like this is someone who is using that hurt to justify it all and say, well, because this is how the world works, I have to be this way. Better me than someone else. Mm, yes. Which we know how that goes <laughs> for people, right? I mean, it brings about Voldemort's own destruction. So there's yeah, the, the proof's in the pudding. It's self-defeating at the end of the day, because that's obviously not how God looks at us. And it says, yeah, you... I mean, compared to him, obviously we're weak, but he doesn't stay there. He doesn't keep us in our weakness. He helps us uplift us and move us past where we used to be. Like how, if God were like Voldemort, like uh, we'd be dead. He'd have given up on us a long time ago. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Mm, That's it. So conversely, we have Dumbledore, who acts as this very eccentric, wise old mentor uh, in his conversations with Harry and the cast of like, he never outright, almost never outright says what lessons he wants Harry and Ron and Hermione to learn. Like, how do you feel like this is handled within the book? And is this a useful way to teach people? You know, I think in this book specifically, it, we don't we don't see as much of it as will come. Um without digging too deep into what comes in the series, like really he's barely laying a foundation at this point for preparing Harry for what's coming and for more lessons that will build on. But, you know, we learn later in the series that Dumbledore's approach here, while we may not understand it at the time, he knew that he could not give Harry all of these lessons that he was going to need to learn because one, it would be overwhelming. Two, it would be terrifying. Three, like, you know, I think there's, um, you know, Marvel reference here because I was just watching all of them, right? So when we look at Infinity War and Endgame, like, what does Doctor Strange do? Does he tell Iron Man, like, hey, this is what's going to happen? Like, no, he tells him, if I tell you, it won't happen. And so I think there's some value in, in not being as direct in those lessons because sometimes, like, You truly have to lead people to the answers. You can't just give them to them. You have to guide them and let them figure it out on their own. And I think while there are times where I'm really angry at Dumbledore and the way that he handles Harry, um, this book specifically, like I I think you start to see that Dumbledore really, really cares for Harry in a different way. That, you know, he still handles himself as headmaster. He still respects that relationship of teacher and student. But at the same time, like, he sees who Harry is and what he will become. And he's he's committing 
to being invested in him in the way that a parent should be. Nick. Yeah. Uh, really good. Especially like at the beginning, I'm keeping it to the book, you know, like you said, Dumbledore's is really not his mentorship and wisdom and, and helpfulness really his book ended at the beginning when he brings him to the Dursleys. And at the end, when he kind of talks to Harry after he comes out of, um, you know, the, I don't know the dungeon. I don't know the the right room or whatever. Um, it was like the third floor yeah. corridor or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. after that, and then you know you get the wise words of Dumbledore and all that stuff, and you're like, okay, okay, this guy's something. But I'm somebody who has a harder time with um, with I'm a more I'm more critical of Dumbledore. I love Dumbledore, um, but he does a lot of things that are rem or that echo some of Voldemort's tactics. He just does them for a better goal, quote, uh, question mark. And as I'm a big Lord of the Rings guy, that's like my thing. But Gandalf is uh, like the ideal person who's a little more, um, I don't know, I hate this word, I, but like he's like more, he's more morally upright than Dumbledore, in my opinion. And I think to see, to compare the two wizards where I'm like, I want to, I want to Gandalf, but I don't because Dumbledore's complexity and his flaws and his inability to see the future, which nobody can, right? These are human characters. Um, like it just makes the story that much more interesting and better. And one that I want to return to again and again to explore those crit where you're like, oh, Dumbledore knew this or he didn't know this is crit. You know, you go back and you figure out all the stuff that he knew and had his finger on. Yeah. Well, and I think you without spoiling anything you name it well that there are things that we learn later in the series that Dumbledore knows in this first book that when you when you find those out and you look back you're like man what a hard spot to be in like what a difficult position to be in to be cursed with the knowledge but have to have to not react or treat Harry knowing that right like not being able to spoil it for Harry although that (laughs) That gives a very positive connotation and there's not really one, but, um, you know, I, I think you're right. Dumbledore is a very complex character. Um, he is very mysterious and there are plenty of times that I like cussed him out as I was reading the books. Um, but I think we find like later that not knowing what the future would hold, but knowing what he did know, I don't know that I, I don't know who could have made a better judgment call you know like i don't know if i could have done any better or anybody else who could have i think he was just trying to do the best he could with what he had and what he knew yeah as if i'm the student in this situation this is one of the most infuriating things in the world because i want to be told do this do that that way i know oh this is how this is supposed to be done but sometimes when you have a good teacher they don't tell you that they need you to screw up they need to figure out how not to do something. Or I thought I was supposed to go this way, but actually he was implying I needed to go this way. And like in the moment, I hate that. But after the fact, most often when I've had a good teacher who's used that on me, I go, oh, they needed me to figure out how not to do this so that when I do it later on, I don't just get complacent or I right. just don't just, just get used to this or what have you. And in the moment, it's like I said, it's just so infuriating, but it's for a good purpose and a good goal. Dumbledore, like we've said, is a very complicated person. Like what he knows right now about who Harry actually is and how the prophecies work and all that, uh, 
holding on to that knowledge and only giving bits and pieces at a time is ultimately healthier. There's some stuff that should have been said earlier on, but we can't get to that yet. But he's trying to love the student. He's trying to guide him well. And I actually really appreciate this too, as I was rereading something, I kind of had this realization, like when he gives Neville those last like 10 points for standing up to his friends, he's rewarding Neville for what he himself could not do to Grindelwald. Mm, And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so good. That is so amazing that a teacher would do that. Like, hey, I'm doing this to you because, you know, 50 some years down the road, uh, uh, excuse me, before now, this happened to me. It's like, no, he doesn't need that explanation. But you understand his motivations and why he did it in the way he does uh, with more context in the series, obviously. So I, I really, like I said, in the moment, I hate it. I don't appreciate it. After the fact, I get it. I mean, I use that in my own writing sometimes. I have uh, mentor figures who will just say stuff. They'll just say one sentence or something like that. And it has like no context behind it. And you have your characters trying to figure out what that means. But sometimes that's good for a plot. Sometimes that's good because that's what those characters need at that time. And I think Rowling did a really good job with that overall, not with everything as time goes on. But for the most part, yeah, with Dumbledore, I get him completely. Yeah, I think just before, but I think, like you said, I want to Dumbledore, the teacher is just a master, right? Obviously, you get away from all the complexity of politics and and dealing with that situation. But as a teacher, he's a master. Um, And if I'm I'm entering into teaching and if I could be half as good as a teacher as Dumbledore in my tenure, I would be happy. So uh, next up on our docket here. I think it would be a massive act of cowardice on my part, you know, to not bring up the more recent controversies with J.K. Rowling. This has next to nothing to do with the book itself, but you're having this discussion. It needs to be brought up, and especially with how she's handled it with uh, the current issue of trans rights and everything there. Like, obviously, uh, if you haven't figured out by now, uh, good people, I'm the the most conservative people here, if not the most. So I agree with her belief that only biological women are women, but I'm not the only person who gets to speak here. That's not how these things work. I want to acknowledge those viewpoints, let them be brought up and discussed. Like, okay, so overall, how do we feel like she has handled herself in these fights on Twitter and elsewhere? And what can we learn about how to handle these issues better as Christians from what she's done and what has been done to her by people who vehemently de- disagree with her? Um, so I'm going to try to keep this as neat and tidy as I can. Um so just a little, just a small amount of context here. So for those who don't know, um, like I said in the beginning, I am a licensed pastor in the United Methodist Church, and we are right now in the midst of chaos um, in what you can only call a split um, over the issue of LGBTQ plus inclusion in the church, uh, specifically for um commissioning and ordination of, of those in that community, as well as officiating same-sex marriages. And so this issue is a little, uh, it's a, um, kind of an open wound. So I'm going to do my very best to like <laughs> try to keep it from bleeding onto this podcast episode. But um, I'm a firm believer that you can carry whatever personal conviction you want. And how you feel about that issue, like Christian, you know, we joke about, you know, the fact that I'm a female pastor and you're at a Southern Baptist seminary and how the SBC has made it very clear that they don't like my kind. Um, But 
you know, all jokes aside, like that doesn't mean that I hope we don't get to grab coffee since we're in the same city. You know, like I, I, I don't care that we disagree. In fact, I enjoy that because that makes the conversation richer. That gives me another vantage point. There's a, there's a book by um, Huso Gonzalez that uh, I love and I, I won't, it doesn't really pertain to the specific episode, but it all, it says that, you know, we look at theology, um, biblical interpretations as if we're all looking at a landscape, right? It's the same trees, the same hills, the same creeks, the same brooks, the, the birds and the flowers and all this beauty, but no two of us can stand in the same spot. It is absolutely impossible for me to stand where you are. You can be right next to me. Hell, I can climb on top and like hang out on your shoulders and we're still not in the same place. What I see looks different from what you see. Now, your personal convictions are yours and I'm I'm happy for folks to live according to that. I will never, <laughs> and, and I and I this is a hill I will die on. I will never speak openly to condemn other people for their sins when God can when God can forgive me for mine. I have a heck of a past. <laughs> it is wild. I'm a knoll. There's lots of shenanigans in there. But I tell you, God still called me up from that rubble, and I get to lead other people to the cross every single day. And if he can call me in my mess, he can call anybody else in theirs. Now, I know that all of us may feel strongly about the issue. Um, I could, We could do a whole episode on um, the science behind those who feel that they identify as transsexual or transgender. I would argue that some of that has to do with our very binary society that says like girls like this and boys like this, like we can't say that we haven't made folks feel like if they like things that we typically put in a boy box, that they don't feel like maybe they are a boy. Or that if we say all of these things are in a girl box, that as a male, if I like those things, then maybe I am a female. All that aside, there is a much better way to share your personal convictions without making stabs that are hurtful for other people. And at the same time, the way to respond to her isn't to throw more daggers back. Like there's a better way to come to the table and disagree and have a conversation about it. There's no reason to cause harm. Absolutely no reason. You can point to stories throughout the gospel over and over and over again, where Jesus sat with the people that no one else would sit with. And he may have called out their sin. He may have named the woman at the well for the whore that she was. But did that change the way that he loved her? Was he mean and nasty to her? Never, never. We can disagree. We can live two different kinds of lives. I can affirm women in the pulpit and you can attend an SBC that doesn't. And you know what? I'm not going to love you any differently. And I'm sure as hell not going to be mean to you because we don't agree. Like I, I'm never going to back anyone who is mean to someone else just because they don't believe the same way. They don't look the same way. They don't dress the same way. None of that matters. My job is to love. And if what I'm saying or doing isn't loving, that I'm, that I'm doing the wrong thing. Well said. Before I get to you, Nick, and I, now I I'm swear, will you speak? <laughs> but I, in certain regards, I completely agree with what Judy has said. I never want to live in an echo chamber. I never want to be the kind of person I want to surround myself with people who always believe what Christian believes because Christian is always right. That is proven to be false the vast majority of every time I've opened my mouth. Same. <laughs> because I, I mean, recently in whole church, uh, I've done several episodes, uh, two of, the, of this moment of time. Uh, you, you're big into Dr. Ord, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I love yeah. Him. So, yeah, he's been on there. Uh, we just recorded an episode this week 
on LGBT issues as well, because they just wrote a book about how the uh, Church of Nazarene should be LGBT affirming. And obviously, I'm not of that belief. And it was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had in my life. And I, if I had just been that person to say, I disagree with this man, therefore he has nothing of worth to say to me, then I missed out on over two episodes, at least an hour, uh, three hours worth of fun, challenging conversations that I never would have had if I just said, oh, you don't believe what I believe, shut up and talk to people who care. That's not how this works. Absolutely. Nick. You know, it's, it's hard to follow up with either of what y'all said because i think that y'all wrapped up especially in the way that we talk with each other and are kind to people and especially as christians um there we there's just a way that's supposed to be different than then attacking other people now we'll say that that i think that god is also in our faith requires justice now what do I mean that, that? I think that justice is a natural thing that occurs. When we talk about Voldemort, talking about uh, power and those who want to seek it, that there's a natural consequences that occur. Um, you read and I, I think that, and it, yeah. And I think, and for me with JK Rowling, I'm more explicit. I'm, I am, you know, affirming to most of the extent in the LGBTQ plus movement. Um, you know, most of it, I'm pretty... Uh, I'd probably say 99% on board with, um, but I, it's, and I, it's not so much about where JK Rowling stands, but I think her, her activity, which has been mm-hmm. specifically to target the LGBTQ community, specifically trans people. Um, now the internet loves hatred and discourse. Um, and so that stuff is terrible. And like you said, daggers is not the right way to respond. But I think that um, J.K. Rowling um, deserves some sort of consequences, whatever that looks like natural. I'm not a judge, but I'm just saying that as for me, when I look at myself in my own life, if I if I murder somebody uh, and I'm obviously this is crazy. Sorry. And I'll end it here. But if I murder somebody and I go to jail even if the family forgives me and God's forgiven me, I'm not going to say, okay, let me out of jail now, please. Cause I obviously deserve it because forgiveness. No, I will recognize that what I've done and I have some sort of societal debt to pay. Okay. And mm-hmm. I think that people in our society are resistant to that because of course other people need judgment except me. Right. Except for when I, I deserve forgiveness. Other people don't except it's except for my standards. Um, but no, I think we need to be consistent. There's people that need consequences for their actions. And I think that J.K. Rowling deserves uh, negative consequences for the way that she's acted, not for her beliefs, but the way that she's acted upon those beliefs. So there we go. But yeah. Yeah, I talked about this a while back on the What's New episode we did about the Hogwarts legacy being announced and all that. And it essentially just came down to like, she doesn't care right now because she can say whatever she wants because right. she has all the money in the world. And when you have, uh, I phrased it as FU money at that point in time, well, you can do that. And you know why? Because you can afford to do that. And it's not fair. That's not uh, worthy of anything of a merit. But there's a way to have this conversation. There's a way not to have this conversation. And the way she has been handling it, the way Twitter followers and trolls have been handling it, definitely not the way to do it either. Like, I don't see a hero in either one of those situations. So on that cheery note. So, guys, rate and review Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone uh, out of 10. 
I'll start so everyone has time to think. Uh, for me, this is a nine out of ten. Like it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Rowling is finding herself, finding her voice, and figuring out the world at the same time. Uh, especially compared to later books, there's no way I could rate this like closer to a ten if I'm rating some of those other ones very close to that, or even at a ten. So I'm a nine out of ten for this. How about you? I think that I would have to say because it is the introduction to the series. So like, obviously at this point you're reading the book, you haven't read any of the others. This is the only one that you have to judge on. I would probably rate it probably a seven and a half or an eight out of 10. It's a great story. It caught my attention. Um, I think if it was a standalone and there wasn't more to come, that it would have left us wanting more. But now looking back, knowing what's coming, knowing the way that it um, lays the, you know, the foundation for the story to build, like I would put it more like a nine. Yeah. I think I just, I think I concur with your, that i really resonate with what you just said by itself. If nothing else, 7.58, but in the context of the whole series, a nine and just with the foundations it's laid and I, and mm-hmm. experientially I'll divide that from like technically, but experientially it was such a magical experience for my youth. And it's a, it's a 10 out of 10 experientially. 10 out of 10 experience. Agreed. Well Agreed. said. All right, guys, let's move on. Uh, does anyone have a recommendation for the audience to check out? It does not have to be related to this topic. It could be completely anything else. Geeky, have at it. <laughs> well, I'm excited because it finally came in the mail. So I have my to-be-read list because now that I don't have to read like huge books on, you know, systematic theology, not going to be for fun. Yeah, lucky um, you. I listen, I, I don't take summer classes on purpose because I would literally die. Like I would fall out in the floor and have no life left. Um, but I got the book, the gospel according to Harry Potter by Mm. Connie Neal. I haven't got to read it yet, but I've had several friends who have read it and they're like, this is right up your alley. You're going to love it. So for anybody who appreciates theology and Harry Potter, I've been told this is a great book. Maybe I'll get to come back and hang out with you guys another day and I can tell you how it was. So, uh, I am a big Diablo person and Diablo four has come out and I have been playing so much freaking Diablo four. It's so fun. Uh, play Diablo four worth it. Uh, for a similar in some appearances, but obviously its own thing book, I recommend a wizard of earth sea by, uh, Le Guin. I think it's, yeah, her oh, last yeah. name. It's a really fun series. Like that, Obviously, there are similarities, but it's not the same in any regard. Anyone tells you otherwise, they clearly haven't read either one. Uh, good time, good writing, very well fleshed out world. Check that out. So, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We will, of course, be doing more episodes along the way. Uh, who knows who will be hosting those? I definitely would like to be part of those conversations. I love all seven of these books, but we'll see what our evil overlord, Joshua Noel, decides to do. Even though, uh, shout out to you, Josh. We, we love you and we'll make fun of you all day long, but I'm very appreciative of every, all the work that you do. So shout out to Joshua. That's my recommendation. Say thank you to Joshua, really. Uh, also tell him you don't like him, but say thank you. Thank you, Josh. We've, we've been nice to him for a very you. long time. We should cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, if you have a moment of time, just please leave us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, visit us on our YouTube page. Like I said earlier, we're doing more series on there. We're trying to expand our audience in that regard. It's been a lot of fun recording videos there. Uh, we have a Discord and the Patreon as well if you'd like to get more conversations, including one question we'll be asking today after this recording in regards to Harry Potter. So uh, also as well, give us some future episode ideas if you'd like to do that too. But remember, we all are chosen people, a geekdom of priests.
This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries podcast network.